Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Welcome to Responding to Life. Today, we resume where we last left off with my fertility story. After years of failed IVF, I finally became pregnant with twins upon moving to a new reproductive fertility center. We made it through 17 weeks of pregnancy without issue, and then the unthinkable happened, and I had a miscarriage. The abyss of sadness that engulfed me was so powerful that I feared I would never climb out of it and see the light. This episode details that tragic moment and my journey of loss and letting go. Ever since I began writing and recording these podcast episodes, I've been feeling really emotional during the most random of moments. I've been tuning into myself and meditating on what is happening, and I think it all comes down to two things for me. One, I feel like life is coming together and that this vision I had for myself of sharing my story to help others is coming true. And the other aspect of this journey is vulnerability. As much as I have always dreamt of helping others by sharing my unique journey, it is still tough to open up to others and lay it all out there and be vulnerable. To be honest, I haven't actually told this story out loud in detail to anyone since it happened 14 years ago. The closest I have ever come to revealing this part of my life is when I answer medical questions about my past pregnancies and hospitalizations for any doctor's appointments. And I also had to talk about it briefly when we applied for adoption and surrogacy. More recently, I did write a short piece called Letting Go After Loss for the 30, an online wellness publication, but that's it. To help me facilitate this difficult conversation about loss as it pertains to both of us in our own ways, I asked my dear friend of over 10 years, Kimchi Tyler Chen to help me out. Kimchi is a veteran storyteller for over several decades in broadcast journalism, documentary styles for families and tech companies in the Bay Area. I know Kimchi through a family friend, and upon introduction, we hit it off with our shared interests of cooking, flowers, and eventually our dreams of becoming mothers. In today's episode, we discuss this journey to motherhood. In particular, our shared experiences with miscarriage, but the different ways in which we responded to this challenge in life. It is in the moments of vulnerability that true change and growth can happen. So with that being said, Kimchi and I are ready to share and hopefully help others in their own journeys. Welcome to the show, Kimchi. Thank you so much for joining me today to help me share my story of my pregnancy loss. And with that, I'm going to hand over the mic to you to ask whatever questions you want that came to mind. Well, I think, um, you know, we've known each other for so many years, but we don't talk about everything in depth. So it's very interesting that you and I are talking about this now. Um, I think. When I recall back to um, 
New Hampshire, because I remember that was the last time I visited you. And I would just, um, in, in terms of where our friendship then versus where you are now, um, I just remember pulling up to that beautiful house in New Hampshire. And it was a very, you know, it was pre-kids. Um, and I thought, wow, what a beautiful landscape and life. And But we didn't talk about anything of substance, I don't feel like. And why was that? I was just curious. What was going through your mind? Do you remember? Like, I started my fertility journey back when we were living in in Boston, and that was um, that was about a year, maybe even two, before we moved up to New Hampshire, which is where you're talking about, where you visited me. So up to that point, I had already undergone multiple failed IVF treatments with some chemical pregnancies, some that were, that just didn't take. And, and so I think when you caught me, when you visited us, it was a point in life where I just didn't want to talk about it. I didn't feel like anyone could really relate to what I was going through. I mean, none of my other friends were even anywhere near getting married, having kids. We were the first of the bunch because we got married so early. And so talking about that to anyone didn't seem to make sense to me, opening up that part of my life, opening up that part of just frustration and inadequacy and just lost and, and lost at the idea of like not accomplishing what I thought I would have over a couple of years already. So it was just, you know, what you saw, it was wonderful. The house, I missed that place. And we were up in New Hampshire in the middle of nowhere and it all seemed great. And, but I purposefully didn't go into depth about what was really happening, which I feel like is very much what most women go through when they're doing their fertility journey, maybe prior to social media, because I've been seeing a lot of like support groups on social media and which is so nice to see and people just documenting their process, which is also great to see. But back then that was, like 14 years ago, that just wasn't a thing. And there were no real support groups, no one to really talk to about it. And so I just kept silent. That's interesting that you say that because I think at the time, I can't remember, like, I'm pretty sure I was going through my own journey in terms of, I've always been wanting to be a mom, right? It's just like, I feel like that's my calling card. And however I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there, right? Um, and I think I was probably going through my own little struggle. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was married to my husband in 2004. And I remember immediately, I'm like, okay, we're going to have a baby, you know. And I remember that conversation's like, whoa, that's a little fast. Can we enjoy it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm getting a little older. We're going to, we're going to do it. And then <clears throat> I think for me, for me, it was definitely very easy. I mean, 
And then I never was able to keep the pregnancy. See, that's the problem. Okay. So, but then I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because I felt like it's a failure. Like Mm -hmm. I've always been this high achiever. Anything I wanted to do, like I I did it. Mm -hmm. And so there's this one thing when I was like, wait, my body is healthy. I exercise a lot, you know, I've never gone through any trauma with anything. So it's interesting that we were both seeing each other, but it sounds like we both had private little journeys that we were not comfortable of talking. I I know for me, um, I was very, you know, to me, it, it, feel, it felt at the time, it was so easy because boom, I, I was pregnant right away. I was like, feeling all these symptoms and then then boom it's gone right and Mm -hmm. then another one and another one so I I didn't consider going through any sort of assistance and to do any like methods or uh, you know strategy it was just like oh well we're just gonna get pregnant the next time so Mm -hmm. I was just curious about your journey um in terms of how did that progress with you? What, you know, how did that basically your journey, journey line for me, it was like, Oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, I lost it. Oh, I'm pregnant again. Oh, I lost it. You know? Right. Just curious. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the first couple of years, um, we were at one facility in Boston and then it just wasn't, it wasn't taking, they were IVF from the beginning and there were a couple of chemical pregnancies and then there were a couple that just didn't take. So then we ended up switching facilities to a different place, a smaller place that was great. It was just completely different from that big institution that we first started out with. And I felt more comfortable with these people. I believe at that very first try at this new place, that's when we became pregnant. And you know, um, everything was fine. We made it past six week mark. We made it past the first trimester. Everything was great. And I finally felt after that first trimester that I could almost breathe again. Like I, like I could actually start to enjoy this. That first trimester, I was just on pins and needles thinking that something was going to go wrong. So I wouldn't allow myself to really enjoy it. And then once we made it past the first trimester, then I started to entertain ideas of, you know, maybe we should do a baby shower. I'm always, I'm I'm a perennial event planner, always loving events. And so I thought, okay, maybe we can talk about that now. Maybe we can start to look at like baby uh, registries and things. And then at 17 weeks, I was, you know, I was just running errands in New Hampshire and I come back home and all of a sudden, like I feel just a gush of fluid and I just froze in fear. And I remember calling my doctor and they told me to call the ambulance and then I did that. And after that, I called my husband and as I was waiting there I just 
almost like slow motion, but also everything happening like super fast and in a whirlwind. And then all of a sudden, you know, there the ambulance arrived and I can still remember being wheeled out and looking from, you know, looking out of the ambulance and seeing my dog just watching from the window as I'm being carted off. And when I get to the hospital, my husband's there and they do some tests. And all I remember is sitting in the hospital bed and them telling us that the pregnancy would, um, there was no way to save it. And there was no reason that they could give right now. But what had to happen was that um, they would wait for me to go into labor on my own. And then I would have to deliver the the twins. We had called a whole bunch of family members and friends who were all doctors asking for their opinions. And um, there was no way to change the situation. So I just laid in bed, just waiting for contractions to happen, just waiting for the inevitable to happen. And I don't remember sleeping and nothing happened overnight. And so um, my husband had called up our parents and they were like, both sets were flying in from Chicago. And in the morning, since I hadn't gone into labor yet, um, he was going to pick up my parents from the airport. His mom was already at the hospital and was next to me. And so right when he left, lo and behold, that's when I go into, um, go into labor. And I remember still as I was, um, going into labor that I was holding onto my mother-in-law's hand. And I remember whispering to her, um, that I loved her. And, and it's true. I, I do love my mother-in-law. But I feel like when I think about that moment that I was really just whispering that to the twins that didn't survive. I was saying that as I was like pushing them out. And, um, and so yes, the, the twins did not, um, survive. And, and then the rest was just a blur. I don't remember leaving the hospital. Um, I do remember like going home and um, I do remember just sitting in my bed and just, just like I was just a mess crying. And um, I remember my husband on the phone having to make arrangements at um, with the funeral parlor so we could go through those motions. Um, and and then, and then that was that. That was, that was when we lost the twins. And there was no, there was never a reason that um, they could really figure out as to what happened. Um, the only thing that they ever just kept referring to it as was an incompetent cervix, which was really like a stab in the heart because just like you, I am completely like, driven and just very like um, type a personality so to hear the word incompetent like at every doctor's appointment it's just i mean 
on top of all of the emotion that goes with your fertility journey, just hearing that your cervix is incompetent is a stab in the heart. But so that was that was the um, the miscarriage of your twins at seventeen weeks. Well, I, I, I'm curious during the times of waiting, like what were your thoughts and how did you take care of yourself all that? Or were you even aware of that you should need to take care of yourself knowing that the next morning something you will, something very drastic is going to happen to you in terms of emotions in your body and I'm just curious, how did you process that throughout the night? You said you couldn't sleep. So what were the thoughts that were going through your mind? Right. Um, all of it was very, like, it was just self-deprecating because it was going through my entire day that morning leading up to it and figuring out what happened what could have happened to have caused this? And then it just got worse because then it was, what did I do to make this happen? And it just became this cycle of negativity. And then when I couldn't obviously figure out what happened that day, then I would backtrack to, okay, in the 17 weeks leading up to it, something must have happened that I wasn't aware of. And I would, I was, remember just like going through and trying to think of moments where I may have like done something that trip somewhere that I eat something that I wasn't supposed to. I mean, I was just, I want to say I was a mess because I was thinking about all of these things, but at the same time, I was also so nervous about actually having to go into labor and how that would happen physically and emotionally that I don't know if it was adrenaline that I was on because like, does it last for a whole night? I mean, but it was something that was um, just sort of kept me going that I couldn't sleep. And that kept me just thinking and evaluating every little step. And with every evaluation, making me feel worse and worse because I couldn't figure out what it was. Curious, though, did was there a point where you may have fantasized that they're wrong? I'm going to go through labor and I'm going to see my twins the next morning. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, that's a great question, Kimchi, because I'm usually a very optimistic person. I mean, between the the two of us, me and my husband, I'm always the one who's just pushing positivity and always trying to think on the bright side of things. And I don't, I don't think I was using that language and telling myself that story. Maybe in the beginning, as we were waiting for um, those second opinions to come in, as we were, you know, we reached out to all our OB-GYNE friends and um, other doctors in the family. I most likely felt it then, just that glimmer of hope holding on to something. 
But as those phone calls kept coming in saying, no, the rights, this isn't going to, the pregnancy is gone. You have to go through what's happening. There's no way to save it. That With every call that came in, that glimmer of hope um, evaporated. It's interesting how you process it because you, I always remember my first loss and then everything else, the losses after that kind of just blended. Mm-hmm. I remember um, my pregnancy, which was a natural pregnancy, and I flew to New York um, to be with my friend. It was a wedding in May, and I remember staying at her apartment on 21st and 3rd, you know, and she was out, and I was by myself, and I think because she was out of town, I was just staying with her, and I remember I went to the bathroom, and then I there's something wrong. It's already been. And the first pregnancy, I always think, oh, you know, there's nothing's going to go on. Something wrong. And I call and I'm like, I call my husband. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm bleeding, you know. And, you know, and you're not supposed to have your period when you're pregnant, right? You're not supposed to bleed. So I remember that feeling very alone and thinking, what should I do? But then the producer side of me, the storyteller side of me, or the person who has covered so many wars and tragic events, just going to like, okay, we're going to figure this out. So yeah, I went to the hospital and, and then the doctor's like, I don't, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but it doesn't look good. You know, you're not to bleed I mean being very nice about it of course New York is a lot different than the language you would use here so I remember coming home by myself and I was just like okay so it sounds like I may lose this baby you know this is the baby right the first one so then of course everybody's flying into New Jersey the next day and my husband was going to meet me and so we're like by ourselves talking about it and we're already accepting like I think like you I didn't have any fantasies I was very realistic and then his parents were coming in and I remember how are we gonna break this news so we didn't break the news at all because it's all about for me taking care of other people because that's Mm -hmm. just my personality Mm -hmm. it's like how am I gonna break this news to my in-laws how am I gonna break them it's a wedding oh my god it's his cousin's wedding I can't tell them what's going on with me so it's very interesting the way I process. And then, of course, his parents came in and we had dinner and everything. Everything seemed okay. And then at night, we sat them down. We're like, guess what? So it was very interesting that, and then they got, they yell at us. They're like, why didn't you tell us earlier? Why didn't you call us? So for me, it was all about taking care of other people. I didn't even think about taking care of myself, you know? So yeah. that's why I asked, like, how did you take care of yourself? Were you in denial? Which I think I wouldn't call it denial, but I would say, let's take care of other people. It's people's wedding. It's people flying in. We shouldn't break the news. But I knew that we have to take care of this. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know the urgency of it until his parents found out. Where he's, They're like, of course, my husband's father was a gynecologist or he delivered a lot of babies in Illinois. Um, he immediately saw, okay, we can't wait. How can you wait? We need to figure this out. So we basically knew that once I go in the hospital, I'm going to come out and that's it. Mm -hmm. 
And then the next day we went to a wedding. And I was like dancing up a storm because again, it was like, it was like taking care of other people. So it's very mm -hmm. interesting. Right. Yeah. I, I fall prey to, to that as well. Just my whole life taking care of everyone else. But it's fascinating that in that moment that you put yourself like under others. But I did go through points over like, oh, shouldn't I have taken, shouldn't I have taken this flight? Shouldn't I have, you know, um, not, you know, go to New York? You know, you, you, you question mm -hmm. your decision making, right? So, but that was definitely the back burner. It was like, okay, this is not going to keep. And how do we move on, you know? Um, but it was very early. And then the second time I remember, again, it was early. And at that time, I'm already thinking, hmm, that happened the first time. I wonder if this is going to happen. And I'm in my producer mode. I'm going to produce this baby. I don't care, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember definitely the second loss, it was pretty devastating too. But it's really interesting how we process. I never accepted that there's something going on with my uterus uh -huh. until, you know, until we start talking about it clinically. So, yeah. Um, but then for our experience, we went through a lot. And I never got pregnant from IVF. It was always natural. Oh, okay. So, and, and leading up to my twins, you know, like either the, see, it blends like the third or the fourth. I don't remember. But I remember there, you know, going to that doctor. It was a brand new, you know, it was a different physician because we're in the South Bay. And she's like, well, it looks like you're going to have twins. And I was like, oh my gosh. But I didn't like have my hopes up high you know high hopes up because the history so right. I think how it changes is like we're gonna just step back in terms of where this is gonna go you know like I think my mindset was like all right let's see if we can keep this one you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that was our mindset like we'll see we never believe it until we see it and we mm -hmm. did see it we, we saw two heartbeats and okay. and little that I know at the time my in-laws were, you know, my in my father-in-law was very, you know, he delivered babies for so many years. So he, he was very, um, he was very uh, doubtful, but he never told mm -hmm. me, which is great because I didn't want to hear that. Right. Right. And lo and behold, you know, even though we saw the heartbeat, we saw two heartbeats and then three days later, no heartbeats, you know. So I think the way I processed it, again, with my producer hat on, who gets everything done, who doesn't get let emotions get in the way, you know, I've done this before. I've overcome so many obstacles. So it's all about um, let's overcome this one. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it was sort of like, I guess you could call it denial. Mm-hmm. Something mm -hmm. just kicks in and you just produce. That's who you are. I'm a producer. I'm going to produce. <laughs> and maybe I can't do it on my own. So that's when, you know, we went through the IVF process. 
And I remember I was totally detached emotionally. I never had any, you know, my husband had more difficult time giving me shots in the butt, you know, like right. the hormone shot. And I'm giving myself shots. And when I look at my belly, and I remember that one time I looked at my belly with all these needles, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, you get these blood, right. dry blood, and you can tell that you've given, you've been given. And I kind of get a little sad or, hard on myself about it but I'm like but look I'm doing something right it's all about doing something but I think Mm -hmm. my husband was definitely have a a hard time with it because he didn't know what was going through my body you know and I to me I didn't care I'm gonna produce a baby I don't care what goes to my body but yeah for us it was all about for me anyway it was all about I'm gonna produce something I'm gonna produce my baby I don't care what I have to go through but for him, it was like, is this even worth it? I don't even know uh, what's going into my wife's body. Right. Curious, how did you deal with that as a couple? Like, how did you talk about it or not talk about what guilty feelings that your husband feel versus what you're feeling going through that? You know, I don't ever remember us talking too in depth about feelings around it versus like just the practicality of what the process was because I think he could see that with each one it was just causing me to just deteriorate emotionally and physically that he didn't want to he was very conscious of making me feel worse and didn't know if he should cry about it or not and maybe was waiting for me to start up the conversation but I never wanted to talk about it I just wanted to keep going I just wanted to just let's just get this done it was I'm all about to-do lists and task lists and crossing things off and so just wanted to just wanted to cross this off the list and get it done and it wasn't happening and it was frustrating me with every moment like even just (laughs) Even just a simple task on a to-do list now. If I can't cross it off, it infuriates me. And so with that, I mean, that was just, just something that just stayed there the whole time. So I don't, you know, going back to that question of like how we talked about it, I don't really remember us talking about it that, that in-depthly. You know? Well, you mean, when you said the word loneliness, it kind of took me back because I, I, I didn't feel alone. I felt like I'm a producer. I'm going to produce a baby. I'm going to f- produce a family. Mm-hmm. But I think the one moment that took me to my deepest loneliness was, you know, they they couldn't figure out why I cannot keep the pregnancies. Not about me. Not you know, my eggs were healthy. He was healthy. You know, they just didn't understand. So they sent me to San Francisco with this special. I, I can't remember where that was, but it was like a special doctor who has, you know, a history of, you know, helping women like myself have babies. And I remember one of the things that they did to test the lining of my uterus. Mm-hmm. And before that, honestly, Josephine, everything was fine. I don't care how many times they visited my uterus. I was joking about it. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. in a museum. Go ahead. Go on in. It was like a museum. To your left, you see the fallopian <laughs> tubes. 
too. You're right. It is a very healthy, you know, healthy fallopian And we would joke about it. It's like, honey, today I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to be a museum. I'm going to open myself up my body. And people can go in there and look at my thing. Didn't care. Because it was uh-huh. like my thing. I'm going to produce. And I don't care what has to be done. But I think what what brought me down to my lowest part was when I went to San Francisco and I went by myself. Again, you talked about being in the doctor's office by yourself. And I'm by myself you know, a lot of times. But for some reason this time, it was very different. Maybe because I had to drive 45 minutes to San Francisco, pain in the butt to find parking spot, you know, all that thing leading to it. Because here, you mm-hmm. don't have a problem in San Francisco. You do. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to make sure... Is it a two-hour appointment? I knew I was going to have my a part of my uterus taken out, the wall. Oh, okay. And so just a test to make sure it's a healthy uterus, right? Mm-hmm. I remember it was the most painful experience. She was like, you're going to feel a pinch. You know, they always say that. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel a little print pinch. It's going to be a little painful. And, but that's it. But I think, that physical pinch that time uh-huh. pushed me down to my lowest level. Mm-hmm. It was so painful at the moment. And I, I was thinking, oh, my God, they're taking a part of my body to see what's wrong with me. Right. So it's very interesting. So I left the office and I just could not stop crying. I was mm-hmm. like, I called my husband. I can't do this anymore. You know. So that was when I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Of course, I get emotional talking about it. Like, so then we just, I, I cried so much. I, I never cried my whole life. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it was like, it was based on that one little pain. And I've shots you name it it was painful Mm -hmm. before but it's just a physical reminder of how I can't do this and I'm failing as a woman Mm -hmm. and as a producer as one who can achieve anything but this you know it was awful 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 (laughs) So it's very interesting, but then it sent us to the next phase, right? It was like, okay, let's stop. You know, it was like, we need to stop. And one thing that pulled me out of it was a really interesting conversation with my husband. He said, and I think this is very important for anybody who goes through this, who is lucky enough to have a, a partner to go through it with you. I never, you know, it's like he said to me, we had a very deep conversation. He's like, I still love you for who you are, whether you can produce a baby or not. You Mm -hmm. are still my partner, you know, my wife, and I love you. So that pulled me out of it so quickly. And then we, we stopped. We stopped IVF. We decided to go into adoption. You know, I I was adopted baby, not baby, but I was adopted by my stepfather. 
So to, that, was, that wasn't a foreign conversation at all. That conversation was not foreign to me at all. So I just let go of that process. It was, but I had it. I had to go through what you you saw. What you said was the depth of questioning my worth, blaming myself. I didn't allow any of that until that piece of skin from my uterus wall left. I was、mm-hmm. like, "Oh my God, I'm a failure!" You know, it's so. But、mm-hmm. then. You know, luckily that conversation that I had with my husband after that, we were able to let that go. But、um, we went to Italy and said we're gonna just instead of spending money on IVF, we're gonna spend it on the biggest vacation ever because we were so、um, attached to the schedule. You know how it is when you go right, through IVF.、Yes. You, there's timing for everything, so we didn't go on any vacation. So I think after that. So when we came back, life was just easy because we we let that go, and then、um, we were in Florida for Thanksgiving, and I'm drinking again like a fish, eating raw oysters. I was like, yeah, life is good because we were going through our adoption process, and you know that pressure was let go. And then I went to the bathroom, funny,、mm-hmm. and then I spot it, and I'm thinking. I came out. I'm like, honey, and it was so funny. It was during Thanksgiving with our family. We're swimming in the pool. I was doing all sorts of stuff that's fun and relaxing. And then I spotted in the bathroom, and I ran out. I'm like, honey, weird. I spotted, and I'm not supposed to have my period. You know. And then it stopped, and that's always the sign that you, there's something going on.、Mm-hmm. So I remember it was so funny. I remember. We're packing up for the airport. We didn't say anything to anybody because everybody knew that we're going through the adoption process. And then、um, I, I'm like, "You gotta stop at Walgreens. I want to have a pregnancy test." And you know, I'm so used to pregnancy tests that I'm like,、right. "You gotta get one. Might、yeah. as well." My husband was like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "I spot it. It could be something very interesting." He's like, all right, if you really want to. So we went to Walgreens, got a pregnancy test, and we're on the airplane. And you know, nine months later, we have a son. Just curious about you. You know, think taking back to you, like, how did you like transition, and then to your first child?、Um, yeah.、Um, so when we got back, and we. You know, I remember my husband making the funeral arrangements, and and again, it's kind of like talking about how you were busy taking care of other people's needs and expectations. This the funeral was, you know, my parents are very are very Catholic, and they needed to have this closure of having a priest preside over. The the babies baptizing them and then and then having that whole process and you know I grew up Catholic and I believe in that stuff but at that moment I just couldn't wrap my head around putting myself through it but at the same time I was trying to manage people's emotions other than my own like managing my husband's and. My parents' expectations, and then the sadness of my in-laws, and so we went ahead and we did it, 
And I remember driving there. I was like, this sunny day in, I think it was the summer. And driving over to that, that funeral parlor in, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And going in there, it was like this Victorian house. in the tiniest little coffin and the priest saying whatever he was saying and me just standing there and not processing a thing of what was happening. And the moment he was done, I remember everyone else was just sort of standing there. It was just the parents and then me and my husband. But I had to, I remember just having to get out of there. Like I could not breathe. Every The room felt like it was suffocating me. And I just, after that was done, I, I left and, and then, then uh, like a barrage of people started to arrive and I was at home having to, having to like not entertain, but to at least show my face to people because they made it all this way to like New Hampshire out in the middle of nowhere to, you know, to be with us. And I'd come out like a zombie every now and then, um, show my face. Um, but I was, I wasn't there. Like mentally, I was just not there. I was in my own abyss of pain. And then but the, like the worst part of it is that because I had physically delivered the twins out of my body, my body thought I had delivered babies. And so I started to like produce milk and it was so painful that because I, so for a couple of days, like not only was I mentally like, like in pain, my body was like in pain and I having to deal with this constant reminder. It was, that was terrible. And then slowly, slowly people started leaving and and then it was just me and my husband. And then eventually it was just me because he had to go back to work. And I think a lot of that loneliness that I talked about stemmed from the fact that we were away from home. We both grew up in Chicago and all of our families were there. All of our close friends were there. I didn't know a single person in New Hampshire. And our house was like five minutes away from the next neighbor, 30 minutes away from like civilization. And it just magnified this whole feeling of being alone. And so it just made it worse with like each day that I was in that house by myself, just my dog. Thankfully we had my dog, but you know, it just for several months, it was just like dark. It was the middle of summer, so it was super bright, but I just remember that time of life being dark. And then, then at some point, I don't know what it was, but I remember not feeling, like I wasn't feeling good, but I remember just thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, if I continue to do this, and I'm a hypo, I used to be like, I used to refer to myself as a hypochondriac. So I would be scared of anything like taking over me, illness, any mental issue, anything. And so I, I started to get that feeling. I think of this is, is consuming you and 
if you don't stop now, you are going to be so far gone. Like you're never going to get out of this. So I think it's time to figure something out. And at that point, um, that's when I thought, okay, you know what? Let's try therapy. Let's try group therapy. Wasn't for me. All right. Let's try individual therapy. Wasn't for my husband. And then at that point though, like at least we had opened up the conversation of, and we need to figure out a way out of this and um, start anew and pivot. And that is when um, that is when we decided to go back to adoption because prior to all of this, we had started the paperwork and then we paused it because you can't do two simultaneously. You have to commit to one. If you're doing adoption, you're not supposed to be doing IVF or trying to get pregnant. And so we had stopped the paperwork on adoption. And so at that point, then it was time to revisit the idea. And so that's, that is how I got out of that. Thank you for this opportunity to share this very personal moment in both my life and Kimchi's. As painful as it was to say out loud, and we live it all some 14 years later, it has been a cathartic experience. It is my hope that my vulnerability in sharing today will give someone some inspiration to open up in their own lives about whatever it is they may be holding back but need to share. Or maybe this story will give someone who's going through loss or a tough IVF journey with some solace that you are not alone and you are not to blame for these random acts of loss. I challenge you all to take a risk of vulnerability in whatever manner that may look like for you in your own life. Albeit scary, the act of opening up will at the very least result in an emotional release that is so freeing and will make you feel lighter. And who knows, the act of being vulnerable may even yield new possibilities for you because you've opened up to the world which is a step toward being limitless and powerful beyond measure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's podcast on miscarriage. Whether you are in the midst of your family creation journey or just trying to respond to life in a positive and mindful way, please be sure to check out the other episodes on my fertility story, as well as the stories of my special guests and their own adversities in life. To help you navigate life with common positivity, Join me every Wednesday this summer for a free 15-minute meditation live on Zoom at 1.30 p.m. PST. To receive the link, sign up for my newsletter on my site, jayatlurie.com. I look forward to sharing more stories with you real soon. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, Along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.